All right, it's episode 18. Pain points of wealth and fear of losing money has now been replaced by FOMO. Fear of missing out as investors are now plunging into the markets, putting more money into ETFs than we've seen over 12 months. And the question is, with coronavirus cases on the rise, hospitalizations on the rise, mortality rates on the rise, what's going to happen next? Has the market come too far too fast? Should investors wait for a big dip? We're going to break that down for you this morning. And we're going to talk about getting good financial advice versus getting bad financial advice. Are you working with a true financial professional? Well, you'll know after this podcast. We got a great show for you this morning. Let's kick it. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Oh, here's the thing that drives me crazy, guys. For investors in general, right? We had $81 billion pour into the equity market in the month of November alone. That was 32% of all the money that floated in the market came in last month. So what is it for the average investor? Is a buy signal, the stock market making new highs? Why don't they buy in October when the market's on sale? Well, you know what, Dad? When I talk to my clients, you know, especially when the market was going down at the height of the pandemic back in March, the common comment that I got, you know, this is a poll of 150 clients that I handle, was that, why don't we get out now? And then when we sense that the market's starting to move up, we don't have to get right back in at the bottom. We'll just catch the trend on the way up. Dad, in your experience, how well does that work? Well, you know, and all the market indicators that I follow, and I follow a lot of them, your client's sense of when things are going to move isn't one of them. It's true, right? I mean, I feel like we call it the proverbial herd mentality. When we all come to the same conclusion at the same time, which is usual, right? It's usually the wrong move to make. But I also think right now that's a little bit of the concern. I've been hearing a lot of these money managers, strategists on Wall Street saying, well, now everyone's bullish. Markets come up. It's gone too far too fast. You know, wait on the sidelines in cash. Wait for a dip, then get your money invested. But you know, my thoughts are, guys, we're probably not going to get that big dip in the market because the reality of it is, these money managers, these quote unquote professionals, you know, I obviously put that in quotes because they usually get it wrong, are still sitting with too much cash. And let's be real here, their performance is what it's all about, and they're coming into this last quarter, this last month of the year, and they've got to catch up on performance. And they're not going to do that sitting in cash, which means a lot of money still has to get into this market. Now, I thought that was an urban legend, Chris, that money managers manipulated the stock market the last two weeks of the year so that their portfolios would be marked to the market at the high, so their fees would be at the highest for the year. Yeah, Dad. Well, you know what? They're not the only ones that believe in that urban myth. We actually have a handful of clients in my particular practice that also accuse us of the same thing, saying that we manipulate the market the last day of the quarter to push up our fees. So... It's true for us too, I guess. No, it's kind of uncanny. But I mean, the truth is these money managers are always lagging, always trying to keep up. And that's why you always have, not always have, but very commonly have what we call that Santa Claus rally into the end of the year. And markets tend to melt up in that last week or two during Christmas right into the new year. And it's just because typically there's a lot of cash that needs to get to work that didn't get to work. And that's the professionals. That's not you and me. That's these quote unquote Wall Street professionals that are supposed to have the know-how on how to invest money. So go figure. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason why people are fearful of the market, why they don't like to buy when the market's going up, even though they see it's a big booming bull market. 
because the headlines are dire and negative. And all we get pounded with is, you know, the COVID deaths that are rising and the spread of the pandemic. But there's lots of good news that's going on that's not making headlines. Yeah, tons of good news, Dad. Like, for example, with regards to the vaccine that's coming out, Goldman Sachs actually expects that there will be 1.26 billion doses of the vaccine that's going to be distributed worldwide by the first quarter of 2021. So that means by March, we should have 1.26 billion doses of that vaccine that could be distributed globally. Yeah, and I think that's an important point. It's one that we kind of hammer in on the show a lot is, you know, we're thinking about all the bad news that's currently going on. And we're thinking about, okay, well, what happens if we go into lockdown again, which we're starting to do here in New York City and other places in the country. But everyone has to remember, and we say this, we hammer this point all the time, is the market's looking out way further than that. The market's looking at another year or two out from now. And to your point, Chris, if we have billions of doses of this vaccine, and most economists and most strategists think by the summertime, we're going to be reopened again. We're going to have like mass distribution of the vaccine. Well, we're going to be back to some sort of normalcy by the fall, you know, realistically, and all the good news that comes with that. And that's essentially where markets are priced. And, you know, when you've got corporations sitting on $2 trillion worth of cash, that's a huge bridge between now and then to manage their cash flow. And they can do anything from like stock buybacks, like you said, acquisitions. So there's so many things that companies can do with their cash. And furthermore, if you look at Americans, they've saved over a trillion dollars since the pandemic started. And we talk about this all the time, guys. That's so much pent-up demand. And I think what the market's starting to tell us is we're going to have a mini economic boom by the end of next year. And market's going to price that now. It's not going to wait till next year to decide that that's good news. Hey, guys, I just want you to take a second and think like a corporate CEO. You know, The majority of their compensation is in company stock, right? And they get paid more of that company stock if the stock goes up. So you know, call me crazy. But if I'm a corporate CEO and I've got $2 trillion, a piece of that $2 trillion in cash, wouldn't it make sense to go out and buy stock back to increase earnings, which will artificially increase the price of the stock? I mean, it's called financial engineering, but it's legal financial engineering. And I don't know about you, but I think I work really hard. And if I'm the corporate CEO, I think I should get paid really well. And if I can do everything in my power to make that happen, don't you think I, you would? I got to be honest with you, Bob. That's what most people would do. But if I was corporate CEO, I'd do it like Jeff Amelt of GE. And I would just fly around in my private jet with a jet behind me in case I run out of fuel going from one party to the next. But I think most CEOs, you're right, will do it that way. <laughs> They'll be smart about their cash flow. And that's the thing. Not only have they have great cash flow right now, but they cut their expenses, right? They were able to shut down offices. They laid people off. I mean, that sounds heartless. But you know, when the business stops, you've got to make sure that the business stays around so you can hire those people back. So now you have this pent-up demand. You have the average investor, the average American, the average global citizen has you know more cash in their portfolio or in their checking account. And they're dying to go out and spend because you're not allowed to go anywhere. Think what happens when you have all that demand and you have this big burst of activity and all these companies are doing more revenue than ever. And all of a sudden their expenses are lower earnings are going to go through the roof. And I think that's what the market's been telling us now for the last six months. Well, and then when you think about that and everything you just said, Bob, is, you know, it sounds puny in face of that. You know, what if we get a little bit of a hike in taxes? What if the corporate rate goes to 28%? Well, who cares if you have a mini economic boom? <laughs> you know, if companies blow out their earnings and they've got to pay a little more in corporate tax now, and who even says that even gets passed? But when you start looking at some of these headline concerns right now, especially when it comes to taxes and things like that, 
you know, it just seems like such a weak argument in the face of, to your point, having so much cash worldwide, having so much pent up demand, and you know, looking at these vaccines and looking how quickly they are and how quickly they're going to get disseminated to literally the populations around the world. It's almost like we're nitpicking here to find a needle in a haystack in terms of finding negative things to find here in the face of you know just like blaring good news that's like right in front of us. Well, Chris, if that's such an obvious fact, right, that there's such good news, interest rates are at all-time record lows, why is there so much money, I mean, $335 billion flooding into bond funds when stocks are a no-brainer here? Well, I think that just comes back to human nature. Human beings are more inclined not to take a chance and not lose money versus taking a chance to make exponentially more money. So do you think bond funds aren't taking a chance? Well, I think in the mind of the average investor, I think that they think that bonds are safe, and but they've never seen what can happen when interest rates start to go up. And I think that you've had some experience with that, if I'm not wrong. Well, I'll just repeat it, and I say it over and over again, but bond funds are weapons of financial mass destruction. If you own them, sell them, never own them. They're the worst thing ever. Yeah. So I think just to sum things up here, guys, bottom line is, look, there's plenty of opportunity to get invested. Yes, there is some bad news right now with the coronavirus, with the pandemic, and it's something to be mindful of. But as a long-term investor right now, you've got to start preparing your portfolio and start preparing for a huge economic boom, which is right around the corner. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And if you like our content, you love our content, it's all you want to listen to is our content, please don't be shy. Click the like button, subscribe, rate our channel. We're trying to get the good word out. So guys, I thought in this episode today, we could talk about in the spirit of the holidays, just like Santa Claus makes his list, he checks it twice. We could talk about if your financial advisor this year has been naughty or nice. But that's a great point, Rod. Has your financial advisor been naughty or nice? So here's an example. My financial advisor is very good at talking about all different types of investment. Actually, she's a very astute investor. However, I don't see any credentials after her name. She's definitely not a CFP anywhere I can tell, or at least she's never told me that, and doesn't offer any advice on the planning side of my life, only on what to buy and what to sell. Yeah, this is definitely one that goes on the naughty list, Dad. Any advisor that gives investment advice without coming up with some kind of a financial plan is definitely a big no-no because it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you tell the doctor that you have these symptoms, the doctor doesn't give you an examination, but goes ahead and prescribes something anyway without looking at the root causes. Yeah. And what happens is we end up with what we call that proverbial collection of investments. You just have lots of things in your portfolio. And I get this all the time, like especially Generation Xers like to talk this way. Like, oh yeah, well, market's up this year. I think I'm doing good. I think my portfolio's up. And that really has nothing to do with it, right? Like, It's not if your portfolio's up or down. It's like, are you taking too much risk? Are you taking enough risk to get to your goals? Like, The conversation should not be, I think I'm doing good this year because the market's up. Like, That is a huge red flag. Well, that's the whole thing, guys. I mean, if you go through life and you don't know what you own, you don't know why you own it, chances are you have a naughty financial advisor. You don't have a financial plan. And you know, over 45 years, when I sit down with someone new, inevitably, when I ask them, why do you own that particular investment? It's because my financial advisor told me it was good. That's not a great reason. 
let's call it what it really is. Not a financial advisor, financial salesperson, <laughs> right? I mean, there's not that many real financial advisors out there. And this is why you have to be really careful with who you're working with. So how about in this case, guys, is this advisor naughty or nice? My advisor says I'm not paying any fees and I don't see any fees coming out of my portfolio. Is this too good to be true? Well, I could tell you, I don't know about the advisor. You guys can make judgment on that. But this is the naughtiest way you can possibly invest. The worst investments I've ever seen is when I sit down with someone and they say, I don't pay anything. My mutual fund company pays all my costs and the annuity is free. All the costs are borne by the insurance company. They like me that much. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're getting gouged <laughs> in fees, which I just love that. Like, I, how can you possibly say somebody you're not paying fees when you just have to go to the 110 page of that prospectus that they give you that you'll never read? And then you find out you're paying like 3 4% a year. And the beauty of Wall Street is they package these products so you don't see any of the fees coming out. So it just becomes what I like to call, Chris, a fee orgy, which is probably not politically correct these days. <laughs> That's a pretty good explanation or a pretty good description of that, Ryan. You know what? After being an advisor for 10 years, I've gotten pretty good at being an investigator of fees. I've been able to really go into people's portfolios and get a good sense of what they're paying. As a matter of fact, I looked at a case just this past week where somebody I was talking to had an annuity and they were paying over 3% in fees when, to the point of this topic, they didn't think they were paying any fees at all. So every year they're paying 3% on their money. Yeah. And think about that. Like on every $100,000, that's an additional $3,000. So you got a million bucks. That's $30,000 a year in fees. That's like a new car every year. So it's so important and we don't realize this, but we should have at some point figured out for us, like what are the fees that I'm paying on everything I own? Because, and we love to do this. We have a compounding calculator where we just show you if you reduce those fees over like 15, 20 years, sometimes it's like a half a million dollars you save. Or more accurately, that's a million dollars that you have to spend that the insurance company or the financial company doesn't have to spend. To me, that's a better deal. I'd rather spend that money than some insurance salesman. Okay, guys, I guess we could all agree that advisor is anything but nice. So tell me about this advisor. This advisor calls me every quarter, checks in on me personally, reviews my portfolio, and proactively discusses financial issues outside the realm of just my investments. For example, she helped me refinance my mortgage this year, and I'm now saving $1,500 a month. Well, not only is that advisor on the nice list, that advisor probably works for paying capital management. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yes, that's good financial advice. It shouldn't just be about the investments, right? I mean, like, let's be real. This year was a great year to refinance your mortgage. Like, Did your financial professional even tell you about that? Did they even look at your liabilities? And maybe it's something they don't get paid on. Maybe it's something that's outside of the realm of their investments, but that's what a true professional should look like, looking at all the different aspects of your financial life. All right, gentlemen, how about this one? Is this on the naughty or the nice list? When I initially met my advisor, he ran a full financial projection that broke down when I could retire and how much I could live on. This was four years ago. My investments have gone up a lot since then, so I assume I'm on track and my plan doesn't need to be updated. You know, this is just too funny. I mean, think about it. When I was 18, I had my first full physical you know, from a medical doctor. Now think about it. That doctor said to me, hey, Bob, everything looks great. And check in with me again when you're 70, because I doubt you'll have any unique challenges or anything will go wrong between now and the next 60 years. Well, Dad, if it's from the perspective of your hair, that hasn't changed since you were 18. So I think I'm pretty sure you're still on track. No doubt about it, Bob. You do have beautiful hair, but that's a great point, right? I mean, look, our life is changing all the time. Every single year, we're going to have life changes. And you know, we always talk about this, but your financial plan 
isn't one of these things where you set it and forget it. It should really be a working document that gets adjusted year after year and keeps up with all the lifestyle changes and financial changes invariably that are going to come your way. And you know, we see this all the time, guys, from the perspective of Chris, you being a millennial, me, Generation X, Bob, you being a baby boomer. And we see in those different stages of life, there's different issues and there's different ways to address them. Investing is life, life, guys. Every stage has its different market environment, right? It has its different challenges. And every stage of your life should be met with an annual financial physical. And every stage of your life should be met with a true physical with your physician. That's if you want to live long and be wealthy. So guys, the sun rises in the east. Bob's hair stays the same. The only thing that changes is your financial life. Hey, guys, I would appreciate some new um, toupee tape at Christmas this year. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one here, guys, that came in, and tell me if this advisor's been naughty or nice, is I'm getting close to retirement. I keep emphasizing I want to grow my assets, but without as much risk. My portfolio took a big hit in March. Although I recovered my losses, I'm not sure my advisor is making my investments more conservative. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, as you get into the financial red zone, as you age, right, as you go through these different stages of life, you should take more risk and absorb more volatility when you're younger and progressively back down that risk as you get older. If you need an example, March and April was a good example. And I think now's a really good time for everyone to take a hard look at how they're allocated in their risk assets right now. Well, that's also too, your, the advisor should be explaining to you as the investor as to why you're taking that amount of risk. You know, It should be matching with what that financial plan is that you should be reviewing every year. Yeah. And it goes back to what we talked about before in a couple of other episodes. It's just like the wrong attitude when it comes to investing in your financial plan. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's the exact opposite. When the getting is good, that's when you want to make those proactive moves in your portfolio and your financial life. Don't wait for things to get bad because at that point, it's too late. Well, I think the most proactive thing any of you could do right now is take a look at your financial advisor. Are they on the naughty list? Or are they on the nice list? If they're naughty, 2021 is a good time to get someone nice. Bob, Chris, and I now have spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we've been doing every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved, and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right track to achieve financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Ready, Bob? The best days usually follow the worst days for the market. Since the 1930s, if an investor sat out the best 10 return days for each decade, his or her returns would be just 19% compared to 16,000% had you just stayed invested. That's crazy. Oh my God, it's insane. And if you think about it, if you went back each decade, you know, since 1930s, I couldn't tell you what the 10 best days were of each decade. Not only could I not tell you what they were in the past, I have no idea 
what's going to be in the future. But if you need an example of how important it is to stay invested, last month, small company stocks went up 20% in 30 days. That's two years worth of return in basically 10 days. So if you need a good example of why you need to be invested, just look at what happened last month. Yeah, November was a great microcosm of, to your point, Bob, why marketing timing is just treacherous. All right, Chris, if you include the four biggest trading sessions in November, talking about market timing, the S&P 500 stocks with the highest dividends returned a massive 26%. That's four days. However, if you exclude those four days of outsized gains, the same stocks would have returned negative 2.8%. Wow. Well, to put that in perspective, 26% is representative of almost six years worth of return. So basically, if you miss four days in the market, you would have missed six years worth of return. So I think the point here is that, like we always say, you have to stay invested to be successful. Well, Chris, I think I'm just going to sit on the sidelines for the rest of the year and hope the market goes down again so I can get back in. Does that make sense? Yeah, Ryan, dad and I would be very happy to buy your shares if you want to sit on the sidelines. <laughs> Too Sherry. Bob, the city school district of the city of New York is the largest school system in the United States with over 1.1 million students taught and more than 1,800 separate schools. You know, right? that is amazing information. And I can't wait till that number goes up when you send your children, my future grandchildren, to school. Any idea when that's going to start? Next question. <laughs> Chris, for every 1 million you spend on clean energy, you create more than two times as many jobs as when you spend it on traditional energy. Well, Ryan, you've always said that if you want to see change in the world, you have to be that change. So I think for Christmas, you should buy dad and I a Tesla. I'm going to buy you a Neo, man. I'm all about the Chinese here. <laughs> Bob, 40% of the world does not have access to internet, which is kind of crazy to think about. Well, it is kind of crazy, but it's also really crazy to think about that a lot of you only invest in your home market. The only one invested in the United States when 86% of the future growth of the world's economy is non-US companies and non-US citizens. So, you know, they're going to get internet in the future. And when they do, they're going to become gigantic consumers like all my baby boomer friends. Actually, a cool fun fact. My friend has a company that has pilotless drones that they want to put over different emerging markets and just give them internet access. So lots of different ways and lots of different opportunities, like you said, Bob, for the rest of the world to globalize. And that's why you have to have that global portfolio. Chris, Airbnb has 5.6 million listings in over 100,000 cities in 220 countries and regions with more than half of its revenue from outside the US. Those listings include 3,500 castles, 2,600 tree houses, and 140 igloos. Well, Ry, from what I understand from Haley, it's your plan to leave New York City this year and move to an igloo for the next two years. <laughs> I don't think my girlfriend would be down with that. I think the castle would be more my cup of tea, by the way. But no one wants to see you in a kilt. That's just hurtful, Chris. Bob, Cyber Monday sales hit 10.84 billion rising more than 15% year over year, the largest online shopping day in US history. There's an expected $184 billion in holiday season online sales this year. Well, that explains it. I was wondering why I couldn't get out my front door because there were so many Amazon boxes piled up each day. So I know a lot of those sales came from someone you guys know really well, your mom. It sounds like I'm getting a lot of Christmas gifts this year, hopefully more than Chris. Usually the case. Actually, just to add on to that, guys, Amazon is on a massive hiring spree. They're actually going to add 1,400 new employees every single day. So unemployment's coming down, gentlemen. 
Chris, researchers studied more than 4 million trades made in nearly 800 institutional portfolios from 2000 to 2016. The study found that the professional money manager selling decisions underperformed substantially a strategy of just selling at random. Well, Ray, I guess the average investor, they say, makes on average 2.6% a year. I guess we can add professional money managers to that statistic as well. They sell too early as well because I think the pain of losing money, Bob likes to talk about this all the time, is more deeply ingrained than the joy of gains. So we always sell too early. Bob, with Tesla stock trading at a price-to-earnings ratio of 149 times based on expected 2021 earnings, as of this recording, the stock has a very rich valuation. Large cap funds that track the S&P 500 will be forced to buy the stock to maintain a reasonable tracking error with the index. Now, that's amazing. Every S&P 500 index fund has to buy Tesla stock before the end of this year. And it just goes to show you that if I had any of you went out there and bought this stock at this valuation, I would fire you. So if you have an S&P 500 index fund in your account, it's time to fire that index and get diversified with something a little more sane. And you know, as a shareholder of the S&P 500 index, you're kind of getting screwed because what's going to happen, one of my friends is one of the big traders at one of the big banks, is there has to be $100 billion of Tesla stock bought on the day, which I believe is December 19th, that the stock enters the index. So all of a sudden, if you're one of the ones that owns that index, you're the one who has to buy this thing at a premium because $100 billion worth of that stock is hard to find. And one of the reasons why the stock's getting bid up before it goes into the index, it's getting completely inflated just in time for you to own it in the S&P. Sounds like a bad deal if you're an S&P 500 holder. Hey, right. Sounds like to me with this valuation that the unaware S&P 500 index holders are getting a big lump of coal in their stocking this year with their fund forced to purchase Tesla. <laughs> He's buying two for Christmas for you and me, Dad. I was going to use that joke and I was going to say, that's what Chris is going to buy me for Christmas. So there you go. As We're- always, I beat you to the punch. <laughs> You're so smart, Chris. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Well, another great show, gentlemen, as always. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.